Well, as we start a new sermon series on the book of Daniel, hopefully you got one of these green journal Bibles on the way in. If you didn't, we have some ushers around. Get their attention, raise your hand. They'll, they'll bring you one. Don't be shy. If you're at home and you would like one of these, uh, we, have, we will have them during the week up at the front desk up in the north entrance. So please come by and grab one during the week so you can follow along. Hey, I'm going to ask you to do a lot of stuff in this journal Bible. Um, it's going to feel like drinking from a fire hose. Hang in there. I believe we have something that God wants to tell us from his word. And so I'm excited to open the book of Daniel with you today. We're going to start in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll turn there. Daniel 1, verse 1. We're just going to look at the first seven verses this morning. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, of the temple. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, which is another name for Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the, of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So let's stop there for now. Whether you've been in church all of your life, or if this is your first time watching a worship service or engaged in worship here at CPC, you may or may not be familiar at all with the book of Daniel, a slightly obscure Old Testament book, um, but we're going to dive into it. I, wonder, I want you to write some things down right off the top, out in the margins or out across from the text that I think will help you see what this book is and why it matters. So write, I want you to write down 600 B.C., Write down 600 BC. The events in this story start roughly around the time 600 BC. The second thing I want you to write is God's people. So they go by the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews, but this is a story about God's people. And the twist in this story is this is a story about God's people. The next thing I want you to write is exiled in Babylon. God's people exiled in Babylon. So the Babylonian people under Nebuchadnezzar had conquered the Jewish people and they led large portions of the Jews across the continent and took them into exile away from their homeland. And so we're calling this series Stories from a Strange Land because God's people are far from home. And it reminds me of one of my family's favorite movies over the past few years, and that is Spider-Man Far From Home. In Spider-Man Far From Home, Peter Parker, who is Spider-Man, not a spoiler, uh, and his friends find themselves in Europe 
It works because they are literally far from home. But the other thing is that they're, they're experiencing unexpected events in life. Peter Parker is going through some unexpected things. It, it feels like nothing is the same. In, in both a real and a metaphorical sense, they are far from home. And this is true for God's people. When they go into Israel, when they go into Babylon, they are literally, geographically far from home. But also notice that nothing is the same. Everything has changed. Nothing feels familiar. They are also far from home. And just like Spider-Man has to figure out how to be himself in the midst of a world where nothing is the same, God's people have to figure out how to be themselves, how to be God's people in the midst of a world where nothing is the same. How can they be God's people in a foreign land? And so Daniel, the book of Daniel in the Bible, is an Old Testament book that tells the story of God's faithfulness to his people while they're in the midst of a foreign land. And it invites his people to consider that past, present, and future, what it means to worship him no matter our location, no matter where we find ourselves. In fact, one of the Psalms, Psalm 37, was written in Babylon, and it tells this very same thing. They're wrestling with this. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion is a name for Jerusalem. There on the poplars, on the trees, we hung up our harps. For there our captors, the Babylonians, asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land, they asked. How can God's people worship him in the midst of an empire where everything is stacked against their belief and devotion to God? The California pastor Larry Osborne says that Daniel found a way in a culture far more wicked than anything we face to glorify and serve God with such integrity and power that kings, peasants, and an entire nation turn to acknowledge the splendor of the living God, which raises the question, how did he do it? And by the way, as an aside, if you're looking, as we're studying Daniel together, if you're looking for a resource, this is a great one, Thriving in Babylon. We got some copies of it and another resource in the bookstore just in case you wanted to pick up a book and follow along as we study Daniel together. But here's what I want you to see this morning. To resist temptation to let go of your faith, hold fast to what God has done. See, we are all tempted to let go of our faith. We are all tempted every single day to choose alternatives to God. But what we also know is that we hold most tightly to what matters most to us. And so when we discover that our faith should be the thing that matters most to us, we learn to hold fast to it. We learn to hold tight to it no matter where we find ourselves. So as you pick up your Bibles, I want you to go back to verse 2 or sorry, verse one, and I want you to put a square, or a rectangle, I guess, around two words, Babylon and Jerusalem. And then draw a little line connecting Babylon and Jerusalem. Put a little box around it. Because as, you, as we read Daniel together over the next few weeks, I want you to remember this. Babylon is where the story takes place. But Jerusalem still has the hearts of God's people. 
They're trying to live out the promises of Jerusalem in the midst of Babylon. And that's the challenge for them. That's the challenge for us. To live out the promises of God when everything around us is encouraging us to let go of them. What does it mean to be God's people, to be faithful in the midst of Babylon? So back in your Bibles, I want you to underline the phrase, and the Lord gave. And the Lord gave, and then out beside it, write the word delivered. And the Lord delivered. Delivered is probably a better translation for that word than gave. The Lord delivered. Now this is a bit of of an odd moment. And it's easy to miss with modern ears and modern imaginations, but the exile was more violent and more wicked and more extreme than we could ever imagine. I mean, as we read in the text, right, they, they decimated the city, they besieged it, they robbed the temples, they exported masses of people across the continent. And for the Jews, it is a painful story, and it's an embarrassing story. God had given them a promised land, and they lost it. Painful and embarrassing. I can't imagine a more confusing time for a nation than this. And yet it's mind-blowing that the Scripture says in no uncertain terms, the Jewish people believed God did this. God did this, right? Now, I could say it a lot about this. I could preach an entire sermon about what this moment means. But for now, let me just say that God sent them into exile because they were not taking his promises or his presence or his power seriously. You see, even in the promised land, we can start to let go of what God has done for us. But even more mind-blowing than that is that when God's people retell this story and we see it all over the book of Daniel, it's not a story about how God has done something awful to them. It's a story about how God shows up in the most unlikely of places. And that even though things are hard and things look bleak, that God's presence is with them. That even though they've made mistakes, that God is powerful enough to redeem them. That's the human story. We make mistakes, but God is with us. It's the original story. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they make a mistake. God sends them out, but he does what? He goes with them. Because he has every intent to redeem them and bring them back. And it's the same story with Israel. God intends to bring them home. And the Israelites, they weren't quick to blame God for where they found themselves. They weren't quick to blame God when things didn't work out or things didn't go their way. Instead, they believed that even in the midst of this moment that a life with God was possible. You see, it's a story of heartache. It's a story of possibility. And both exist at the same time. Go back in your Bibles. I want you to circle a few words. This will be a little search and find, see if you can find them. Vessels, youth, food, wine, educated, names. Just take a moment, find those words, circle them. They all have something in common. If you've ever had to onboard a new employee in a workplace, it's 
pretty harmless, but what you want them to know is, here's how things work here, right? Here's how things work here, as opposed to here's how things might work over there in that other company, out wherever, right? Here's how things work here. Now, all of those words I had you circle, they're what we might call identity markers. They're about how things work here in Babylon versus how things might work out there, say, in Israel. These are identity markers about how things work in here. And these Israelites are going through what we might call a re-education process. And some of it might seem harmless to us, right? What about they're changing their names, they're letting them drink food and wine, what's the big deal? But here's the thing. I want you to see the Babylonians are aggressively trying to retrain the Jewish people. They're aggressively trying to remake their imaginations. So all of the original names of these four Jewish men listed, all of their names were about God. And all of the names that they were given were about the gods of Babylon. They're trying to take the Jewishness out of these Jews. They're trying to sever their identity, to separate them from devotion to God. So we live in a world that aggressively wants to pry us from devotion to God. And I don't mean by that what you might think I mean. You see, The Babylonians are not trying to get Daniel and his friends to give up on God under the threat of violence or death. They could, but they're not. They're doing something else. They're wooing them with the vision of the Babylonian good life. And that's important to understand because that's exactly how the world wants to pry us away from God. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, says, every follower of Jesus in every culture has to constantly ask the question, in what ways have I been assimilated into the host culture? Where have I drifted from my identity and inheritance? I mean, whether it's Minneapolis in 2021 or or Babylon six centuries before Christ, Any host culture we find ourselves in is doing its best to help us drift from our identity and inheritance. And here's what happens. It plays on our weaknesses, on our insecurities, on our anxieties, and invites us to exchange the commitments of a life with God for the good life of the empire. Let that sink in. It plays on our weaknesses, insecurities, and anxieties and offers for us to exchange the commitments of a life with God for the good life offered by the empire. Babylon, the best it can offer in exchange for devotion to God. What are the name changes that are being offered to you? What are the name changes? I, I won't meddle by naming a bunch of them. But I do want you to consider the haunting question, in what ways have I assimilated into the host culture? And let me just stop there and say, the problem is not them. Whoever, I'm not pointing at you guys. The problem is not them out there. The problem is in here, right? 
The problem is in my own heart. I, I would love to have some them to blame all my problems on. I would love to have some them that is responsible for my sin. I would have, love to have some other them that's responsible for me being faithless in my relationship with God. But the truth is, it's in my own heart. And just like the name changes in Babylon want to sever the Jews from their identity with God, sin is always threatening to sever us from who God's calling us to be. How do we hold on to faithfulness in God when sin is aggressively trying to pry us loose from him? So again, to resist temptation, to let go of your faith, hold fast to what God has done. Look, Babylon is a hopeless place unless God is with them. And we live in a hopeless place unless, unless God is with us in Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Christ is the one who holds fast to us when we can no longer hold fast to him all the way. He holds fast to us all the way through the hopelessness of the cross so that we might know what new life looks like on the other side, holding fast to new life in him. God's faithfulness gives his people hope even when they find themselves in hard circumstances even when the culture is stacked against them, even when it's their fault. These Jewish people in our story, what we see and what we'll see over the coming weeks is they don't settle. They don't settle for the best that Babylon can offer. They seek what God has to offer them in the midst of Babylon. God forms us into people of hope in the midst of temptations to settle for hopeless alternatives. Where is God calling you to have hope when it's tempting to have a defeated life and a defeated posture? <laughs> From my perspective as just an earthly human, I look at this story and I go, man, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they had every right to believe that God had given up on them that God had abandoned them. And yet they don't believe that at all. They have suffered greatly, but they're not passive. They have suffered greatly, but they still have hope and energy towards something good. And here's why I think they had hope. They don't believe God has abandoned them. And they don't believe God is powerless. And therefore they don't believe they are hopeless. They don't believe God has abandoned them. They don't believe God is powerless. And therefore, no matter what they're up against, they don't believe they are helpless. There's something that's possible with God, even in a strange land. What I love is they don't seem to fear Babylon. They don't fear Babylon. We don't need to fear Babylon because they know and we know God is with us and God is powerful. And how do I know that they're not afraid of Babylon? Because there's a whole book called Daniel that shows God followers in the midst of a corrupt empire living creative and hopeful lives. They're not afraid. They don't huddle and bury their heads in the sand. They don't stoke up fear. 
They don't stoke up divisiveness. They don't play the us versus them, them game. Look, stirring up fear, stirring up anger, stirring up divisiveness, stoking animosity towards people who are not like us is never a Christian value. I'm sick of seeing it in our world. I can't tell you how much I'm sick of seeing Christ followers stoke fear and divisiveness and anger. It's not a Christian value. It is not the way of faithfulness with God. God calls us to live hopeful lives. Hopeful. Not us versus them. Us for them. Theologian Christopher Wright says, we need to understand the culture we live in without sharing its belief system. What he's saying is, we can get to know the world. We can get to know Babylon. We're not called to be afraid of it. We're not called to assimilate into it. We're called to be a hopeful alternative. The world does not need a bunch of negative Christians circling the wagons or lobbing criticisms from afar or on social media. The world needs a hopeful alternative in the midst of Babylon. If you disagree with what you see in the world, you're called to cling to Jesus, to hold fast to hope, to offer an alternative. It's exactly what we see God's people doing in Babylon. Over the last few weeks, Ashley and I have been watching a show uh, called Midnight Mass on Netflix. And let me just say, I, I do not condone everything that happens in this show, um, nor do I recommend it for all audiences. Um, but there's a character in the show named Riley, and, and Riley does something really awful. He's, he's driving under the influence and has a wreck, and he takes a young girl's life. Not a spoiler, first thing that happens in the show. Um, but several episodes in, he's, he's gone to prison. He comes home to this small island village where his family lives, and there's a new priest in town. And the new priest is trying to engage with Riley, who's very negative and pessimistic and closed off and carrying all this guilt and anger. And, and they start an AA meeting, and it's just the two of them, which is very awkward to watch. And, um, and in it, in one of them, Riley just starts unloading on the priest. If God were good... If God were real, God would never have let this happen to me. God would have stepped in and stopped me from doing this awful thing. And the priest sits there calmly, just kind of absorbs the anger. And then he says, you know, I know why you feel that way. But I don't know of any version of the Christian faith, nor, nor any version of being human, that lets us off the hook for personal responsibility. And what he's saying to him is, you are responsible for what you've done in the past, and you're also responsible for living a different way in the future. We carry the responsibility for what we've done, yes, but more importantly, for choosing to hold fast to Jesus for choosing to live hopeful lives. We have the responsibility to live in ways of hope because of what Christ has done for us to model a better way to live, to model holding to what God has done. We are not helpless. We are not passive. We have the power of Christ with us. Let's hold fast to it wherever we go, 
wherever we find ourselves. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy God, thank you for this time. I thank you for your word to us in Daniel. Your word to us to remind us that while we might be a creative minority, we are not helpless and we are not powerless because we have a powerful God who is with us and for us. So God, as we explore this text, as we read it together, help us. Help us to find you, to find your grace, to be reminded that you are better than any alternative. Help us cling to you in all things. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.